I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. We open the show today with a brief discussion of President Trump's latest attempt to sit down for an interview with an establishment media figure. Former CNN broadcaster and British tabloid veteran Piers Morgan is the latest to frame Trump in a less-than-positive light, and I give the details and explain why none of this is necessary. Then we get into the woke corporations getting their comeuppance. Florida's removed some special privileges for Disney. Netflix's shares have fallen even more than expected, and the Obamas are leaving Spotify, among other examples. Maskaholics are fighting back. The Biden DOJ will challenge the ruling that federal mandates are less than legal, and new mandatory face diaper rules are popping up throughout the country. I'll give you the details. The IMF gave a dire warning on a food supply shortage. It's coming worldwide. Elon Musk lavished praise on the CCP and more in the beginning of the show. Our guests today are Florida State Senator Joe Gruters and Florida State Representative Randy Fine. They've been at the forefront of advancing an America first conservative agenda in the state of Florida, and they break down their ongoing battle with the woke left, especially Disney, as well as their efforts to remove critical race theory from textbooks, especially from our youngest students, among other topics. And we have our caller of the day. But first, a word from our sponsors. is the story that broke yesterday afternoon that Donald Trump sat down with Piers Morgan, who is now moving over from the Daily Mail to the UK Sun and Fox Nation, and I guess New York Post as well. So he signed a big deal with News Corp and Murdoch uh, that he's going to be doing his uh, the opinion commentary from the, the News Corp platforms. And he's going to launch his Fox Nation show with an interview with Donald Trump. And according to the headlines, that Trump melted down, yelled to turn the cameras off, that Mitch McConnell is stupid, that Mike Pence is a weak fool. And in this blockbuster story, Piers Morgan got Trump to completely lose his cool and totally freak out and fight about election integrity stuff, making Piers Morgan look really great. Uh, Or so that's what we're told. Now, I admit I'm I'm losing some level of uh, interest in these types of stories with regards to Trump, and I'm definitely losing interest with these stories with regards to Piers Morgan, who is, you know, not someone who I I think is very interesting or very credible, but it was sweeping coverage all over the Internet. It was lead stories on multiple publications. It was. Uh, the, the, it was the number one trending item on some social media platforms and it was only based off of a edited short clip. Now, uh, the Trump team sent us a longer clip from the uh, conversation and it seemed mostly pretty normal, pretty standard Trump stuff. But again, he got rolled by the establishment media again, where establishment media guy, even though it's for a Fox station show ostensibly, uh, comes in and does the interview with him and uh, then cuts it up and promotes it as if Trump is, is a crazy person. And that's what they put out. And most of the rest of the media goes with it. And it, it's all kind of hoaxy, to be honest with you. It is one of those things where it's just not exactly how things went down at all. It seems like things went down significantly different 
than the way they were portrayed by the initial headlines. But did that make a difference? Because ultimately, if enough people feel one way about the content, if there's enough people who believe that that is the that that what happened was the way the media portrayed it, then sometimes the new reality, the, the new truth, is actually what people's perception is. And I'm not being literal, but this is the era that we're in. We're in this fake news era. Uh, where it just seems as though the uh, people's perception sometimes for a fake news item never totally changes. Like if you polled a bunch of MSNBC viewers and CNN viewers right now that uh, Trump didn't collude with Russia to rig an election or that the Hunter Biden laptop actually isn't Russian disinformation, how many of them do you think will understand that those networks got those stories completely 360 degrees backwards? Uh, how many people who read the New York Times regularly know the 1619 Project was fake news? and was based off of faulty history that even a left of center mainstream historians regarded a lot of the claims as fictional. They don't know that because, you know, they're not handing out uh, copies of Breaking the News or uh, sending uh, bookmarks to uh, Breitbart.com to their uh, family members, those types of people. But the question is, that how long does this have to go on and what is your opinion of this stuff? Because I know this audience that uh, is largely pro-Trump, but I think it, for the most part, we're getting increasingly frustrated with the trying to win over the establishment media because uh, of two reasons. The first thing is it's not necessary. Ron DeSantis doesn't do this. He doesn't go out there and try to court the establishment media. He does the opposite. He tries to savage the establishment media. So there's an effective way to be a Republican right now. Uh, and uh, without doing this. And the second thing to me is that it, you don't have to do this. It is, uh, we also had a couple of headlines yesterday, earlier in the day, Breitbart, a poll showing that Donald Trump commands the Republicans' greatest favorability ratings and Mitt Romney and Mitch McConnell the lowest. So he's already so popular. He is so solid with his Republican base. He doesn't need to make, uh, uh, he doesn't need to win over establishment media people, especially snakes in the grass like Piers Morgan, who are always out for himself. Uh, this is why it just feels like an unforced error, is my point. And uh, here's another story from the New York Times, writing it this is from an opinion piece, but saying that forces unleashed by Trump have not lost momentum. Uh, someone named Thomas B. Edsel wrote an op-ed, with or without Trump, the MAGA movement is the future of the Republican Party. Exactly. Trump's values won. He won out. And that's a good thing, in my opinion, because as I've said over and over again, pretty much uh, my ideal politician was campaign trail 2016 Trump. That was it. If I was making my Mr. Potato Head politician, that's the guy right there. Boom. And so uh, those those values won. His tactics won. The hatred of the media won, ironically, even though Trump doesn't always walk the walk in that regard. I mean, how many times have we been down this road before? Um, you know, Bob Woodward comes to mind. That was a recent one. There was uh, the Jonathan Swan from Axios, George Stephanopoulos, Leslie Stahl. How many of these people that he, did he sit down with? The guy Steve Inskeep. All these guys, he sits down with these people, and then they they hose him somehow, and then he just sits down with them again. Interesting. Uh, speaking of odd things Trump did, uh, there is a new line of attack on Dr. Oz, which is interesting because it, this one will get sorted out at some point during the debate. 
that will take place in a few days. I know I'm, I'll, I'll be having a watch party for that. Um, but whether or not, uh, so Dr. Oz, who is a Turkish citizen, that, that's, that's literal, he's a Turkish citizen, even though he's born in the United States, he has a joint citizenship in Turkey where he served in the Turkish military, not the American military. Um, but he has never directly said that the Armenian genocide was a genocide. And NBC News asked him about this, and a spokesman asserted that Oz is opposed to genocide in general, but didn't actually say that the events in 1915 that was a genocide and is known as the Armenian Genocide, he didn't flat out say that's the case. So uh, Francis Martel's big write-up of the Spreitbart News, the Ottoman Empire executed what most historians outside of the sphere of influence of the Turkish government consider the world's first modern genocide massacring at least 1.5 million of the world's 2 million Armenians, or about 75% of the total population. Ottoman leaders also conducted genocide campaigns against other Christian ethnic groups in what is now modern Turkey, including the Assyrian and Greek peoples. So good history from Francis there, our world editor. Um, But Oz doesn't like genocide in general. That's a bold statement. So um, it's got to come up in the debate. And we'll see how he deals with it. It should be an easy one. Yes, it was a genocide. Yes, I hate it. If he does this, he'll score easy points. It's going to be a layup. But the thing is, you could blow the layup too. Just another one where I just don't know. Still not fully uh, getting why Trump was credibility behind that guy. But we'll see. All right. Something happened that I think was inevitable and expected, but was still very exciting to me. Uh, is that the Joe Biden administration is going to appeal the ruling that lifted the airplane mask mandate. Um, I was reading Politico's playbook, which is a a Beltway publication newsletter that informs sort of left of center mainstream people what's going on in Washington that day. And I was noticing, though, they weren't openly stating we need to bring the mask back. Uh, They did have a... Uh, a, a series of polls that suggest that there are certain people who are not comfortable with the CDC uh, and the TSA and the Biden administration uh, going soft on masks. They are suggesting that people need to be masked up. So I was thinking, huh, that's interesting. There could be a narrative brewing that maybe it was premature to drop the mask, and this could be a place where there are political points to be scored. And yes, that is exactly what we started to see yesterday we started to see people who are being referred to in some places as maskaholics the headline of a uh, story in city journal yesterday that people are just are just addicted to it this is their security blanket as we discussed on yesterday's show with charlie hurt which is also on the Breitbart news daily podcast if you want to check that out uh, this is their security blanket for like a baby or what uh, master marlowe has which is a kaneko his, uh, his uh, little bunny that he puts on his neck when he sleeps. Or he did until he was about three. They didn't need it. But uh, grown-ups need their masks now. They need to, to feel it on their face. That oppression. So Biden is uh, going to appeal, it appears. And there's no suggestion that it's going to work. 
And if it does, it could backfire. But he thinks, I think, fighting for the mass, for the government's ability to mask you up is a productive use of time at this point. Um, and here's what's interesting, what's most interesting about it is not that there's a lot of people who want to wear the mask, which they're allowed to do anyway. It's not that the Biden administration is going to appeal. It's that according to a story that Charlie Spearing wrote out for us at Breitbart News, the legal defense of mask mandates is necessary, according to the White House, in order to preserve the CDC's power. They're literally arguing that this is, we need to be able to have the the power to do this, to force you to cover your face, even if you're a two-year-old and it's against science on uh, airplanes. It's about control, as we always thought. So this is what uh, Charlie Spearing wrote up that uh, this defense, according to Press Secretary Jen Psaki, that it, it is all about for current and future health crises, we want to preserve the authority for the CDC to have to do this. Just a reminder that they're, they're not even, that is the, it's becoming a big cliche, but that's the internet cliche of saying the quiet part out loud. So I don't fully get that expression, but that's what everyone's saying these days, like one of those trendy phrases. But that's what she's not supposed to say that she's not supposed to say this is about preserving the CDC's authority to force you to do anti-science crap to control you in your lives in a country that's ostensibly supposed to be a, supposed to be a free country. But yet, that's exactly what they said. So just know that, that that's why they're fighting this. They're not fighting this because they are convinced 100 percent that it's scientifically backed. They're doing it because they need to preserve the CDC's power to control your life. Port Authority at New York and New Jersey will continue to embrace forced masking. So there will be parts of the country. I just don't see how they're going to pull it off. They're going to try. I want to see them try. Let's see them try. Um, in the meantime, there's other stuff that's a bigger deal that's happening around the world. and I, I don't know why. Uh, Big Joey's got to get his mind around some of this stuff. There's a global food crisis that's coming. The IMF International Monetary Fund warned of unrest amid food supply shortages. Uh, Peter Cattle wrote this up for us on Breitbart's London Bureau. Here is the key section. Even before the war, the Ukraine-Russia war, inflation in many countries has been rising due to supply and demand imbalances and policy support during the pandemic, prompting a tightening of monetary policy. In the, this context, beyond its immediate and tragic humanitarian impact, the war will slow economic growth and increase inflation. Furthermore, increases in fu- food and fuel prices may also significantly increase the prospect of social unrest in poor countries. Central banks will need to adjust their policies decisively to ensure that medium and long-term inflation expectations remain anchored. That's from the IMF. So... That's what's going on is the they're warning global food crisis coming and is not just related to Putin, though, of course, they would like to blame Putin as much as they can. Um, The Fed put out their beige book yesterday, which is actually a kind of an interesting set of data. Um, But it it is it is not has about the lamest name imaginable, but also shows no sign of the Biden inflation fading. So from the Federal Reserve, uh, they say inflationary pressures remain strong and there is uh, a firm expectation that this is going to continue for the coming months, according to the Federal Reserve. So there was some chatter that there was we'd hit peak inflation. 
And the Fed is pushing back on that robustly. So this is a something else we could see is we could actually see a moment where we get to a recession and prices are still rising. This is what people call a stagflation, where we see inflation, but we also see the great of uh, the growth of the economy either slowing or coming to a complete halt. But in the main, in the meantime, let's challenge whether or not people are forced to wear masks. You're all still free to wear masks if you want to. Let's do that, Big Joey. All right, I want to do an update on what's going on with Florida Senate passed this bill to end the Disney tax jurisdiction that we mentioned on yesterday's broadcast. It would resolve the Reedy Creek Improvement District, otherwise known as the Special Tax and Governing District for the Walt Disney World Resort, which basically allowed it to govern itself. And a lot of people had seen this as a unnecessary uh, repercussion for Disney being woke and designed to just be mean and to bully Disney. A lot of people in the National Review crowd, the sort of establishment Republican crowd, were saying that this was excessive. And this will only punish people who are kind of just getting in the line of fire. But I'm all for it. I got a minute. This is a this is my opinion. My opinion is it's really important to run up the score uh, on the bad guys. And what Disney is doing, trying to sexualize uh, five-year-olds and to force indoctrination into this trans cult behind the backs of parents. Again, the parents are not supposed to know about these conversations that are taking place in the schools about sexual identity and orientation or whatever it is, and gender, which is actually a construct, unlike biological sex. These, that Disney would be encouraging this stuff, I do believe there should be significant repercussions, and I'm all for whatever uh, Florida can pull off. Um, Governor Jared Polis, a Democrat of Colorado, tried to pounce on this. So I guess he's going to run for president. Usually that's what happens when, when governors start weighing in national issues. Uh, trying to entice woke Disney uh, to relocate their headquarters to Colorado. Fired off some epic tweets about how Florida is authoritarian now. And he called Ron DeSantis a socialist for attacking a private sector business. This is a thing where there are some people who are just living in the past a little bit. It is uh, just throwing around those words is not going to make people who otherwise support Ron DeSantis convinced that it is not resisting the groomers at Disney is not a, a higher priority than uh, protecting their, their tax carve out. This is where a lot of people have spaced out, I think, is that uh, if you listen to this show, for example, which is, I think, a quintessential populist, nationalist, conservative show. I think the the viewpoint we put forward on the show is pretty much down the middle, conservative, but with populist, nationalist characteristics. And I'm for cutting taxes at all costs, and I'm for uh, almost never raising any taxes. But that said, how often I talk about taxes on the show versus how often do I talk about the fact that we're having a total cultural collapse in the United States? Is it 10 to 1? Is it 100 to 1? I would like the tax rate to be very low. In fact, I've made the case we're already sort of socialist out because our tax rates are too high. But what gets me out of bed in the morning is not this pie in the sky idea that um, I'm going to be able to get a little tax break for you know people who earn $375,000 a year or whatever you know is on the table potentially. 
That's not what gets me out of bed. What gets me out of bed in the morning is because I don't want people at woke Twitter and woke Disney and woke Democrats to uh, ruin this country for my children. And that's what these people at Disney are trying to do right now. But hey, let's just call Ron DeSantis a socialist. That'll do it. He's driving people completely insane, which is which is so fun that what DeSantis is doing. Uh, Matthew Dowd, who is a former Bush strategist and failed Democrat lieutenant governor candidate in Texas on MSNBC, saying that if Jesus were alive today, the Republicans would call him a groomer. So that's how nuts he's gone. And they put this on MSNBC, which is just a home of a lot of nutty commentary. But that, that's what would all of you think that uh, Jesus is uh, some sort of a pedophile enabler grooming children to uh, be sexually abused? So this is the thing that I enjoy so much that Trump did to people. And I like when you do it, not just with rhetoric, but with policy. And there's that, that is called being triggered when you get irrational like that. Um, CNN is demanding people stop complimenting weight loss, by the way, which is not good. It's a people should keep their weight down. It is completely anti-science. So they put this out. And I know that there is a lot of uh, factors in your life that might make you not the fittest you've ever been, and it doesn't feel good to confront that. But uh, the reality is, is that virtually every health problem you could have is exacerbated if you're overweight. And CNN is discouraging people from complimenting weight loss because it's body shaming. There is a big movement to try to celebrate people who are uh, living unhealthy lifestyles in this particular way which is, I think, kind of coincidental because people who don't want to wear the masks, which have done nothing, you're going to get shamed. But if you want to be morbidly obese, you're going to get protected by CNN. Think about how people treat smokers. I mean, smokers are pariahs in society. And yeah, but you're allowed to be... If you want to discourage people from being unhealthily overweight, then on CNN, you're going to get in trouble. We're not thinking this stuff through, I don't think. Uh, some good news, I guess. But this is one of these ones where it's good news, but should never happen. See, there's a show that is called The Family Sex Show. Literally, that's what it's called. And it's designed for five-year-old children that has now been canceled uh, after a backlash. This is in the UK. The Tobacco Factory Theater in Bristol and the Egg Theater in Bath, England, was going to have this family sex show. Fun, silly performances about painfully awkward subject of sex. Exploring names, functions, boundaries, consent, pleasure, queerness, sex, gender, relationships, side for children, and it has some incredibly XXX-rated terms. It's designed for kids. And it got canceled. And this is what I'm saying. I'm all for it. I'm a free speech guy, and you should be allowed to do whatever you want to do, but keep the kids out of it. And um, if you want to put this stuff on, you can, as far as I'm concerned, as long as you can do it in a way that does not indoctrinate the kids, uh, I'm all for it. But you can't sexualize the kids. Stuff has got to stop. That's where the line must be drawn. All right, some open borders updates. Um, John Binder is on a border trip right now, and he's getting incredible content for us at Breitbart.com. He's got an exclusive with law enforcement finding fentanyl and everything from Skittles to vaping pens coming across the border. Can you imagine how difficult that must be? 
And not to mention, this is a confluence of some of the worst, uh, the worst things facing our country, period. The crisis with the fentanyl is for, uh, largely created in China, sold by the cartels, and smuggled through our southern border because we have incompetent Democrats who uh, have no control over our border and don't want control over our border. Fentanyl deaths in American border communities are up 800% right now. So uh, the, uh, uh, in the 115 miles north of the United States-Mexico border, up 800%. In a bright part, we've been getting sent a horror story every day of a typical American family just devastated, gutted forever, this stuff. China plus cartels plus open borders equals mass death. But it won't uh, mean mass news coverage over at CNN and MSNBC. The White House is lying to you by saying that open borders will actually reduce migration numbers. Oh, wow. That's good. Pro-migration advocates Neil Monroe writes for Mr. Breitbart telling Democrats and reporters that fewer migrants will be registered at the border each month once the Title 42 anti-disease border rule is removed. Uh, Congressman Tim Ryan, Democrat, says the uh, reversal of Title 42 is wrong and reckless. It's reckless. It is deceptive to suggest that the number of administration numbers are so high simply because of Title 42 and so-called double counting or repeats attempts. A pro-enforcement advocate named Robert Law worked for Trump said. So and he attributes the high right now that we're seeing to Biden and policies that encourage people to cross. There's a few same people in Washington, but they're not the ones with the levers of power right now, unfortunately. All right, a couple of entertainment items I want to mention. Obama is leaving Spotify, which is interesting. And I wonder if it has a Joe Rogan connection. I doubt Obama cares about that stuff. I think he just kind of goes where the money is. Um, but his, he had a deal with Spotify that was huge, huge deal, the podcast, stuff like that. I was unaware of any of the podcasts that he did. And I guess he couldn't come to terms with a new deal with them, so he's moving on. But I'm wondering if it does have to do with some of the Rogan stuff. I don't know for sure, but we'll see. Maybe for Michelle, that's the thing. I don't. I doubt Barack Obama cares one way or the other about Joe Rogan. That's just a guess. But Michelle might, and she's part of the podcasting too. So Obama also works over at Netflix, and Netflix shares were down nearly forty percent as analysts downgraded it on its uh, subscriber failure. It lost. 200,000 subscribers last quarter and is projected to lose 2 million more. We discussed this with David Ng on yesterday's show. You can get on the SXM app. And this is pretty interesting because I told my editorial call at Breitbart yesterday morning, I think this might be the most interesting story right now because you've got this pioneering company that's really on the rocks. And I had no idea the stock was going to fall a third over the course of the day, which is what it did. It is because there's too much competition. They did not, they've invested in a lot of prestige projects like prestige movies. They bought up some really mediocre talent like Ryan Murphy, who creates a bunch of mediocre shows and overpaid him. They didn't get all of those really popular uh, pieces of intellectual property like the comic book stuff and some of these franchises that just print money. So they don't have a lot of those that they own. It seems like they've just spent their money in all the wrong places. Not to mention they're incredibly woke, one of the wokest companies in all of Silicon Valley, which is saying something. 
Jerome Hudson cornered the market on this. He documented this in his book, The 50 Things They Don't Want You to Know. So even for Hollywood slash Silicon Valley, they are pretty woke. So many bad choices over Netflix. And uh, I'm in that group. I've canceled it more than a quarter ago, though. But I'm out. I'm not doing Netflix right now. Don't need it. Couple other quick ones. Alec Baldwin bizarrely claims that he's exonerated after the Rust production was fined for failure to act on gun safety hazards. He must have gone nuts. I, I can't. Uh, I admit, even though there's no guy you would, if you wanted to wish this on someone, you'd have to put Baldwin high on the list. But you don't really wish this on anyone. You really don't. You really don't. And I'm not saying that he is not free from blame. I absolutely am saying he is, bears a, quite a bit of blame for the death of Hel- Helena Hutchins, who was on killed on the set of Rust, but the gun that Alec Baldwin may or may not have fired. I want to be careful there. But uh, he's definitely gone nuts, and uh, he's acting like he's exonerated. This is what happens to people who have gone through a trauma. They start inventing realities. Also, people who work at CNN, same thing. Uh, the New York Times has promoted a rich white man as executive editor. Got inherited a lot of money. Insider bears some blame for a, a fake news scandal that I wrote about breaking the news called the Caliphate Podcast, which I won't give you all the details, but uh, all that is in the book. It's pretty fascinating. A guy named Joe Kahn, he'll be in charge. It seems like the new boss is the same as the old boss, so to speak. But this new boss has an unbelievable photo shoot. And you're going to want to tune, you're going to want to go to brightport.com and look at some of these photos that was in the uh, New York magazine of him. They are so bizarre. And if he meant them as a joke, then I, I love this guy. But I don't think he was joking. He's got a very serious face on. But him posing with the paper at the breakfast table and on the floor. Seems like an odd person, and I'm sure he uh, will not improve the New York Times. Just my guess, but we'll see. Last one, a Musk update for you. I can't resist. Tesla's thanked China for letting the Shanghai factory reopen, even though the workers have to work, have to live in the factory. So Shanghai, the gigafactory there, which is one of their biggest facilities, has had harsh coronavirus crackdowns, obscenely so, and... According to Bloomberg News, a pro-China publication, uh, they got a copy of a memo where Tesla was very grateful for the CCP for letting their employees go back to the Gigafactory where they'll be forced to stay if they intend to work. Uh, This is why I'm saying that I don't see the evidence that Elon Musk is some sort of champion for free speech so long as he is pandering to the CCP, the biggest authoritarians on the planet who control speech more than just about any other entity on earth. guest today again is Florida State Senator Joe Gruters, who's also the GOP chairman of the state and Florida State Representative Randy Fine, who have been pushing forward a lot of bills that make the left very unhappy and make, I think, Florida an even better place than it already was. And they're getting results. You can see the voter rolls are just incredible for Republicans. Huge progress each and every year uh, in the red column. I think it's the biggest gap now that we've ever seen in terms of registration pro-Republican. 
Republican. And all this is because they're not just fighting back. They are taking the fight to the left. We get into all these details in a pretty fascinating conversation. Let's hear it. It is now time to get victories. It's time to get wins. And, you know, what's happening out in Florida now where there is this major pushback to not just uh, try to win some sort of a theoretical ideological battle, but to actually change the way the country is governed and the way people behave. It's a big deal. Uh, look at how triggered Jen Psaki is talking about the utterly reasonable legislation that's being passed in Florida. Play cut for it, please, Haley. The political games and harsh and cruel uh, attempts at laws or laws that we're seeing in some states like Florida, that is not a reflection of the country moving to oppose LGBTQ plus communities. That is not what we see in data. That is not factual. Uh, and that is not where things stand. This is a political wedge issue and an attempt to win a culture war. And they're doing that in a way that is harsh and cruel uh, to a community of kids, especially. I'm, I'm like going to get emo- uh, I'm going to get emotional about this issue because I just it's horrible. She's crying. But She's crying. Uh, but, you know, it's it's like kids who are bullied and they, 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 like all these leaders are, are taking steps to hurt them and hurt their lives and hurt their families. And you look at some of these laws in these states and it is going after parents who are in loving relationships, who have kids. It's completely outrageous, um, but it is it is a wedge issue. Sorry, I, I'm just, this is an issue that makes me completely crazy, um, but it is an issue that um, is a political wedge issue. It is not a reflection of where the country is. Uh, that is so important. She'll be played over and over again. She cannot keep it together. She's literally sobbing because Florida passed a bill that suggests you cannot talk about whether or not your five-year-old is trans behind their parents' back in school. That's it. That's the bill. Makes her cry. So that's who's leading our country right now. That's why we need to fight back. These people need to be vigorously opposed. A couple people who are doing that are Florida representatives. Uh, we've got Florida State Senator Joe Gruders on the line and uh, GOP Chair and Florida State Representative Randy Fine. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show, both of you. I really appreciate it. And I want to talk about the mechanics of the Florida bill, the philosophy behind it, and uh, why you think that this is such a winning issue, which, of course, you could tell from the opening that I agree. I guess why don't we start with you, Randy? Could you break down what the what's in the bill and maybe some of the misconceptions about it? Well, the, the parental rights and education bill does exactly what you just said. It basically says you can't sexualize five to eight-year-olds. But what we're doing this week is because of the approach of leftist companies out of California like Disney, um, they kicked the hornet's nest, and we realized that the state of Florida has been giving them special privileges for 55 years, effectively allowing them to secede from the state and govern themselves, untethered from laws that regular Floridians have to deal with. So um, we're this week going to say, look, you can play by the same rules that everybody else does. You're a guest in our state. Keep your California values in California. Yeah, that's that is really a uh, th- that is something that unfortunately I think a lot of people in Florida are going to disagree with that though that it is California values and this is where they're going to butt heads with you is that they're going to suggest that well we've always Disney's a Florida a place it, it is it, 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 Disney but I want to talk about the mechanics of the carve out first. Could you help me clarify this special 
provision that Disney basically has to govern itself within Florida? Sure. So in the 1960s, Democrats, doing what they do, crony capitalism, chose to give Disney the right to govern itself. They set their own zoning rules. They set their own building codes. They set their own safety guidelines. They can build their roads however they want, not having to follow Florida rules or regulations. Um, They can actually go and seize property from private citizens without government approval. They even gave them the right to build a nuclear power plant. Um, And they did this in the 60s. And, um, and, And no other theme park company in Florida has this. So they have this own government. It's called the Reedy Creek Improvement District that governs itself. And what we have said is any special district that was created before the Florida Constitution was put in place is going to be sunsetted in a year. And you can either get in compliance with the Florida Constitution um, by coming to the legislature and talking to us, or you can go away. And that's what's going to happen in this instance. Uh, Joe Gruders is also with me, the state GOP chair, as well as a state senator. Uh, Joe, let me ask you, a a lot of the criticism immediately of this move, which, again, you guys have heard my biases on this. I I dig it. Uh, But it's a lot of the criticism is that this is some sort of overly reactionary. It's punishing people who don't deserve it. This is just purely retribution. It's not a good idea. Your reaction to that? No, I yeah, no, I appreciate that. But it's basically... What happens is when we discuss these laws and certain things come up, you know, we this, these special districts came to our attention. Some of the, the powers that Disney has uh, it, it was brought to our attention. And as a result, it's not necessarily retribution. It's just reviewing what's out there right now and making sure that there are no, you know, no theme park. That Representative Fine was right when he said uh, all these other theme parks in Florida, Bush Gardens, Universal, uh, SeaWorld, nobody is able to operate under the same uh, the special privileges. And the question is, should we have companies that get special privileges in Florida like Disney has been operating over the last 50 years? And it's a, and I, I will tell you, to go back to the original bill, you know, I'm a parent, the father of a 6, 8, and 10-year-old, and I'm trying to make sure my kids could tie their shoes right and put their shoes on. Uh, and, and not necessarily, the, and I will tell you, my kids aren't, aren't mature enough to to talk about issues like sexual identity and uh sex sexual education and it's a uh i think uh disney just overstepped uh the the, their their boundary i think that they the california executives made a big mistake uh when they came out against this bill Uh, this is a common sense uh mainstream bill and and yes uh, the white house is completely off base and they need to focus on the, running the country, which they've done such a poor job at, and leave uh, the Florida issues to us. And our governor's obviously done a great job, Ron DeSantis, who's taken the lead on lobbyist issues and is clearly the leader of our party and the, the state, has done nothing but try to put Florida forward and try to push some of these common-sense measures uh, uh, in, in this legislative session. And, and the, the Brandy Fine, who's the sponsor of the bill, is uh has done an amazing job at everything he's uh been able to accomplish this this session have either of you heard from your constituents yet on this i know this is fresh but what is the are people excited about the move or do they think it's excessive um i'll I'll take that first it's randy um i was having constituents call me about this weeks ago you know as people started to learn that disney had this this was able to govern itself and not play by the rules 
um, that they played by. I had constituents calling and saying, why are we allowing a California company that's a guest in our state, you know, put these values forward? And, and you know, thanks to the leadership of Governor DeSantis, as, as Senator Gruder's talked about, we're, we're tackling that issue today. But, you know, Senator Gruder sells himself short. I mean, he is the leader of our party and he's helped create the conditions where we have this kind of strong conservative governance where we can rule conservatively and unabashedly um, and show that it works. I mean, look how different Florida is doing versus the rest of the country. We're exploding in growth where the rest of the country is simply a disaster right now. And, and you can say that because we've had great legislative leadership and great party leadership by Governor DeSantis and Senator Gruders. Uh, Senator Gruder, so let me ask you about the fact that this provision was in place and a lot of people feel like Disney's entitled to it, but they're not really entitled to it, are they? No, no one's entitled to anything. Certainly something that was passed 50 years ago, and Disney has a lot of influence and they've been good. I think, I think what we're going through now is they're going to learn their lesson. You know, I wish that it, it's like when the NFL got all political you wish they would just stay out of it and, and stay in their lane. And I think that uh, the and Disney has been good partners for a long time. And I hope that we can get back to that point because they raise, they generate a lot of money for the state. When you think of Florida, if you're outside of Florida, you think about the, the beaches and Disney. And uh, and I think we can get back to that point. But the, the, the question now is, is what do we do? These, they, they have a special district. It's we're going to review it over the next year. And like Representative Fine said, Right now, they have the ability to build nuclear power plants. They have the ability to frack. They have the ability to self-govern completely uh, independent of, of what's happening in the state. And I think all of that needs to be reviewed. And the retaliatory move, per se, I think it's a uh, it's prudent of the state to look at all these districts that were formed before the Constitution. And I think that it did come up as a result of uh, the, the original bill and the opposition. But now that we've the, the open that book, I think it gives us a good opportunity to uh, to take a strong look at it. Uh, back to you, State Representative Fine. Uh, I want to ask you about a criticism of what you guys are up to from the governor of Colorado, of all people, Jared Polis, who suggested that you're all authoritarians and socialists. Uh, how do you respond to that? Well, let's I find it ironic that a governor that would force mask children and demand that businesses remain closed, keeping people from earning a living would have the audacity to call us authoritarian. He might want to go talk to his friend, the governor of California, who kept Disneyland closed for an extra year over us keeping Disney World closed when Disney World was able to operate fairly. I often find that on the left, what they do is they claim that we're doing exactly what they're doing. In terms of it being socialist, is to give one company special privileges over another. That's what you see in places like Russia. That's how you end up with oligarchs. And to be clear, making these changes is not a new idea. There have been people who've wanted to fix this for 50 years. The problem was Disney was the 800-pound gorilla politically. And what happened is much as they've destroyed their brand in the last few weeks and months, they've destroyed their political power in the state by going and alienating the overwhelming majority of voters. That parental rights and education bill is supported by Biden voters by a 23-point margin. That's wow. not all voters. That's people who voted for Joe Biden. So they've, they've, they've gotten rid of the political goodwill that they use 
to preserve these special privileges. So, you know, the governor of Colorado can stick to smoking marijuana and all the other goofy things that they do out there. Uh, Senator Gruders, I think you wanted to chime in on that. No, I, I don't think I could have said it better than what Representative Fine just said. Um, the this is where I think there is a a divide in the way the public is perceiving this, and because a, a lot of it has to do with the media, the media framed the initial bill as a "don't say gay" bill. Is there anything in the bill about whether or not you can say gay? And were you surprised uh, that that was how it ended up being framed in the establishment press? Well, I'll take that, Randy. And, and I think what's happened okay. is is that the Democrats do a great job public relations and coming up with these catchy phrases and trying to win public opinion, regardless of what's in the bill. It has nothing, you know, the bill is only four pages long. I think only a couple of sentences that adjust it. And basically all we're doing is, is we're saying you can't sexualize children and we're saying it should be age appropriate. And we're not, this is only for under fourth grades. You're talking about, you know, kindergartners, first graders, second graders, exactly where my children are. And like I said, my goal as a father is to make sure my kids get get could do the basic uh, arithmetic and, and, and get writing down and and, and uh, do the basic uh, functions as little kids, including put their shoes on right and not understand what sexual orientation is, sexual identity, uh, trans issues. It's a to me, it's a uh, uh, it's a complete overreach. And I think what's happened is, is the Democrats have overplayed their hand. I think they're completely wrong on this issue. I think probably the overwhelming majority of Republicans, Democrats, and independents agree with us on this bill. And, uh, and they are uh, the, on a fast track uh, the, the, to the bottom. I think they've really uh, made a mistake here. And, uh, and I think what the governor's trying to do and, and people like Randy is, is, is trying to protect kids uh, at an early age and, and, and certainly – I think most, like I said, I think if you look at the polling, the overwhelming majority of the Americans agree with us. You don't think that that a sobbing over a whether or not five-year-olds should be indoctrinated into the trans stuff behind their parents' back is a, a bit of an oversell? Um, I think, I can't figure it out. Are they stupid and can't read? Or do they actually believe in the sexualization of children? It's one of the two, and I'm not sure which one it is. You know, but to add to what Senator Gruders just said, I think the other thing the left underestimated, they came up with this catchy phrase, don't say gay. They underestimated the ability of Ron DeSantis to get out there and show people what was in the bill. And I think that's something that the left needs to do at their own peril is underestimate him. I think they have done that consistently over the last several years, particularly starting with COVID. And he's right every time. And here he was able to make this blow up in their face. Because I will tell you, this bill was not that controversial. There were other more controversial bills until they came up with this catchy phrase, which sounded really bad. And then it's blown up in their face because it's not. Yeah, I. Well, and part of it is because you're all fighting back and you're doing a a number of fronts and it's tempting to just spend the whole uh, time we have together on this. But there's a bunch of other things I want to bring up that's happening. And uh, one of the biggest ones is the congressional map that was just passed. Governor DeSantis's map, I think, could add as many as four uh, Republican seats conceivably. This could be one of the sleeper victories of the year for any Republican across the country. Um, either of you feel free to, to chime in. Uh, what's going on with this map? And uh, is this, am I correct that this could be one of the most exciting things happening? 
Well, listen, I will tell you the governor, the reason why people love him is because he's a fighter and he was willing to fight for these maps. And then the, 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 the challenges we have as a country was where you have some of these other states getting involved in the map drawings. Listen, we have a fair district constitutional. It's in our constitution here in Florida. So we have to follow the, the specific parameters to make sure it could pass the judicial scrutiny. And I think that the governor's map does that. And in, in yes, at the end of the day, it will add some Republican seats and help us win back the majority and take back the house, uh, the nationwide and, and you could thank Governor Ron DeSantis for uh, making this such a priority issue and vetoing the original maps. I, you know, I voted for the original set of maps uh, that were placed in front of me. They were constitutional, but I think that the, the governor's maps are a thousand times better, and I think that the, the, the party is much better off. Uh, one other thing that I is was sort of a bittersweet headline to report, which I brought up on yesterday's broadcast, is that Florida is rejecting 41% of uh, proposed math textbooks over critical race theory indoctrination. This is great news, but I'm still shocked that 41 textbooks in the in mathematics textbooks, or I'm sorry, 41% had critical race theory in it, which is basically a component of critical race theory, is that math as we know it is basically racist because it was created by a old white people and a really a toxic idea that's going to make our, our kids a lot stupider. So good for you guys for stopping it. But if you're fending off a CRT in textbooks, you guys really have your hands full. Yeah. And look, I'm lucky. I chair the committee in the Florida house that deals with K through 12 education funding. And so I've been working on this issue just so you know, people are like, what, how can you have CRT in a math textbook? A lot of it is word problems. You know, it's like, you have 100 white people in the classroom. What percentage of them are racist? 100%. I mean, I'm making it up, but it's goofy questions like that um, where, where they subtly um, get, get in there. It's not the four plus four stuff. It's, it's a lot of the word problems and, and, how, it, and how it's phrased. But look, we're going to make ah. a big dent. On it. We're, yeah, we're the third largest state in the country. That means we buy the third largest amount of textbooks in the country. And we're saying we're done with this. And I think you will see the textbook makers have to change. What was particularly disturbing, though, about this is the greatest percentage of textbooks that got rejected were the ones in K through five elementary school. Wow. I don't know what it is. The left has become obsessed with brainwashing our children when they're little. This, by the way, a, a relatively small percentage of the high school books were rejected. It was mostly elementary school books. So they figured out get in early and go to work and it's and it's horrible and and but the good news is thanks to ron DeSantis and the conservative legislature that ain't happening in florida another one that you guys are doing is you've enacted protections for unborn babies at 15 weeks it seems like a pretty good number that seems to be the common um uh the, the, uh, the line of demarcation here uh, is this one are you surprised at all that this was not didn't garner as much headlines as the not nearly as controversial uh, fake don't say gay bill um i'll answer that real quick i actually believe interestingly that those two bills were debated on the floor of the house the same day the abortion bill i think took six hours um the parental rights bill took two it really was the yeah. catchy phrase that blew it up afterwards had right. they been able to come up with a catchy phrase 
for the abortion bill, I think that one would be the one. But the reason we focus on 15 weeks, one of the reasons is the medical procedure to conduct an abortion after 15 weeks is horrible. And I know people, members who are who aren't necessarily big pro-lifers, they don't believe necessarily life begins at conception, who when they read the procedure that was used to do an abortion after 15 weeks, they just said, I can't vote for this. I can't vote to you know not stop this. And uh, and I think that's a big part of the focus around 15 weeks is how the abortion is actually conducted. It's, it's horrifying. It's grotesque. Very powerful. And, what, what, and I yes, yeah, go ahead. And I'll say I'll say one other thing. What's amazing is a lot of the bills that didn't get much uh, press or even recognition. It's because in Florida, we've passed so many conservative home run bills. It's like we are hitting one home run after the next. They can only focus on so many. I mean, the, Florida has really moved the bar, and you got to give a lot of credit also to the Senate President Wilton Simpson and to the House Speaker Chris Browse. And it's a uh, really the the the, the conservative uh, the team here in Florida is pretty impressive. I would say we have the best one two three combo in the entire country, and, and it, it's showing with all the legislation that we're passing. And that's why I think people are flocking to Florida in droves. Yeah, I, and this is where I want to wrap up. And let me just say on behalf of Breitbart Nation, this is why we're, we have such a keen focus on Florida and why we cover you all so often is because you're putting forward an agenda and not just playing defense. And we on the right, even some of us with the best intentions and even some of the most capable and most articulate spokespeople for conservative and America first values, they don't necessarily, when they've got the chance to put the agenda forward, they don't necessarily get focused and figure out a way to do it. But that's what you guys are doing. And that's what's so fun to watch uh, from afar. And uh, sadly, I'm not a resident in Florida, but maybe one day. Uh, but I guess we'll wrap up with uh, something uh, you just alluded to. Uh, and we'll talk to you. Uh, I'll throw it to you, Senator Gruters, that Florida has seen since Election Day 2020 a net gain of 250,000 registered Republican voters and now has 116,000 more Republicans than Democrats in the state. Is that unprecedented? And if so, I- I'm just curious how exciting that must be for all of you because it just seems like you'll be able to make Florida the test kitchen for conservative values uh, going forward, if that's the case. Well, there's no question. And look look at who's a resident of Florida. We have former President Trump and the number one governor in the country, Ron DeSantis. And it's been a combined united effort over the last 20 years to flip Florida red. Basically, what's happened is is just over the last four years, you're exactly right, we've almost flipped 500,000 voter registrations. For the first time ever in Florida's history, we flipped Florida red earlier this year. The governor's really poured a lot of money in. Ronna McDaniel's poured a lot of money in over the last couple of years. And it's a, it's a team effort along with our local uh, county chairs across the state. And we're just completely running circles around the Democrats. And a lot of it has to do with the political refugees fleeing these high, high tax states, low freedom states, and, and, and the Governor DeSantis has literally put a, a light on, on Florida, and, uh, and people are coming at 1,000 a day to Florida. A lot of these are Republicans, and, it's a, uh, and we're doing our job as a party to make sure we convert them and get them registered to vote. And in the last cycle, in, 20, in 2020, it, you know, we had cycle after cycle where every race was within the margin of error, lots of uh, 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 recounts within 1%. 
and uh, Donald Trump blew it out of the park. We ended up with 3.4 percent advantage uh, over Biden here in Florida. I actually thought that when I saw the results come in in Florida, I thought, man, this race is over because Florida is usually like the bellwether for the whole country. But what it is, is is we're just dominating so much on the ground with our grassroots. And when you have a governor and the president uh, both doing as good of a job that they they did, when I say President, President Trump, when he was uh, in office, Florida is going to be red for a long time. We're going to send 20 members of Congress to to D.C. next year. We're going to come back to the Florida legislature with even a stronger majority in both the House and the Senate. And we're going to continue to push push good legislation because that's what it takes. It's not just getting people to register as Republican. It's showing the voters that you're going to do something with it. And that's why people want fighters like Ron DeSantis and Randy Fine who are willing to take on the tough issues and are willing to fight on behalf of everyday Americans, and that's why we're running down here. Florida State Rep. Randy Fine, Florida State Senator Joe Gruters, who's also the state GOP chair. Thanks to both of you, and let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's caller of the day is Jake in North Carolina, who did something we don't typically do, which is he kind of went off the board. Uh, Typically, I try to set the agenda, but occasionally, if there's a compelling call that gets through that is uh, not something I've introduced, then we'll take it. And it prompted an interesting discussion on why we don't do a lot of discussion of libertarianism on the broadcast. And I think I came up with a pretty good answer, a a long and unwieldy one at some points, but uh, I think it's an interesting topic and one that does not get a lot of attention. So we'll give it some now with our caller of the day. I know this is a little off topic, but I just wanted to talk about, or am curious about why you don't talk or Breitbart talks about libertarianism as much or at all. Because Breitbart is really anti-establishment. The Libertarian Party is the anti-establishment party. And even though that Libertarian Party doesn't put up great candidates, the candidate isn't as important with the Libertarian Party because the platform is what counts, not not so much the personality. Just curious why we don't talk about libertarians as much. Because if we really want freedom and small government, that's the way to go. I think there's a couple answers to your question, Jake, and I think that um, uh, th- th- I'm going to let you run because I'm going to all pine for a few minutes on this um, because it, it's an interesting conversation, and I think there's a couple of reasons why. Uh, the first thing for me is that I think that there is a ideology around victory, around winning, and libertarians don't win. Um, they never have won, ever. So and I that that's a very off putting to me because we need to get wins. It's not I'm not just here for ideas. Um, you know, when I was in high school and I, I was trying to figure out what my political ideology was and trying to understand all the issues and I was voraciously reading, which I still do. But when I was more unformed. Um, I definitely thought that I could be a libertarian. Um, I worked for Larry Elder, who is a libertarian. 
and I found a lot of the philosophy very appealing. But then over time, when you realize you never win, and the left is running up the score on you, then you realize that victory is its own value system. Uh, the, it's a just how many of your favorite pro athletes are part of what what you like about them is they're just driven to succeed every time. They can't stop. You can't keep them out of the winner's circle. Libertarians, you can't get them in the winner's circle. So I, I think that's a start. That's a major thing. Second of all, I'm less, I would say, libertarian um, than I was philosophically just because I think the libertarians are uh, on, on issues of family, on issues of, um, you know, uh, issues like, like abortion, uh, of issues like regulation of monopolistic businesses. I just think they're wrong. I think the vast majority of libertarians probably don't want to break up big tech. They don't see the Silicon Valley as a sort of new era of uh, robber barons as I do. I think that one of the biggest threats we've got going in our society is that we've got these monopolistic companies that are cutting deals with the U.S. government and out of Silicon Valley. And I think your average libertarian, not all libertarians, but I think your average libertarian will think, well, hey, they're a private business. Facebook can do what they want. Google can do what they want. They can viewpoint discriminate. They could cut backroom deals with government to enrich themselves. They could pay off politicians. They could even write the legislation that our politicians are signing via lobbyists. But, hey, we can't do anything about it because we're libertarians. Like, that's very off-putting to me. So, But I think the most important of all those three, of, of these three, the first one being libertarians don't win, and the second one being I'm not really that much of a libertarian personally, um, I think the most important thing is that the thing that animates me the most is stopping the left. And, and I think the libertarians help the left in a lot of ways because you end up withholding votes from whatever is a viable non-leftist candidate to win. And by all means, if you want to run in primaries on a libertarian philosophy and you can win, then good for you. Uh, you know, Ron Paul, very famous libertarian and um, his, his incredibly captivating uh, thinker and speaker and watching Ron Paul YouTubes is, is a pleasure. It is. And you guys know, I think Rand Paul is one of the best senators, even though I don't agree with him on, on everything because he's more libertarian than I am. But I think he's an, he does an amazing job in the Senate. But I think that you've got a, uh, a, a, for me, once the primaries are done, you got to stop the left. And that's really what gets me out of bed in the morning to use that expression yet again. It's, I am a conservative, I'm a populist, I'm America first, nationalist, all that stuff, I'm anti-globalist. All that stuff goes into how I would define myself politically. But the number one thing is I want to stop the left. I think the left is an existential threat. The globalists are an existential threat to the United States and to the concept of national sovereignty in general. And I don't ultimately think the libertarians advance that. I think they, they hurt in a lot of cases. Because if you're voting libertarian, you might be withholding a vote that would stop the left. I got American faith in America's heart. That's all for today's show. Thanks so much to producers Haley and Greg Evan and to all of you who have told 10,000 friends and family members about the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Or check out the SiriusXM show live every weekday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, Midnight Hawaiian. And thanks for listening. Oh, the giant.